Let's get into the Word of God. As you know, Pastor Andrew, and didn't Pastor Andrew do, uh, do a good job this morning? This is his first time he's uh, led that part of our service, did a great job. Um, he talked about the Immerse series, and uh, so we have been in this series, uh, I don't know if you guys realize it, but since June 21st, that's when we started uh, the series. Uh, probably some of you are out there going, seems a lot longer. Uh, but um, we're going to come to a place in the series today that some of you have been waiting for. We're coming to that place where we're going to talk about the crisis experience of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The crisis experience of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, you're probably sitting out there right now, some of you going, whoa, hold, time out. I am Methodist. I am Baptist. I am Presbyterian. I am not Pentecostal. Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. I'm not Pentecostal. Guys, we're not going to preach any denominational stuff today. We're going to preach what's in the Bible. How about that? Are y'all good with that? So we're just going to talk about what's in the Bible. So here's what I need you to do because I got to tell you, I had to do it to really get into this, and that is try to put aside all of the stuff that's been given to you from a denominational perspective and let the Holy Spirit be your teacher today. Now, here's what I hope you'll do. I hope you will take what I give you, and I'll be glad, as I always am, to send out my sermon notes to you. You can contact me on Facebook, my Facebook address is great high potentate at face no it's not true just pastor farrell put pastor farrell hardison in there in search and i should come up and um if not just go to the bridge one you can find me there and connect with me that way and just let me know you want the sermon notes or you can send me an email farrell at bridgechurch.cc i'll send you these notes here's what i hope you'll do i hope you'll do your own study i hope you'll do your own study now you might listen to me preach today and say, whoa, I just, man, I don't see it that way. I don't see the scripture saying what you're teaching, Pastor. Well, that's great. So you do your study. You pray. You get your study books around. Don't get your denominational manual and bring it in, but get, get the Bible and get some study materials around you. There's enough free stuff on the Internet uh, for Bible study that you ought to be deep in the scriptures if you have that desire. And uh, do your own study. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Obviously, after this skip we saw today, the Holy Spirit will speak to you, won't he? But i got to tell you, I always thought he was a little better looking than that. But <laughs> So at this point in the Immerse series, we're going to talk about this crisis experience of um, the believer, the person who have been, who's been saved, accepted Christ, receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, let's begin with a position statement uh, on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is what your church, if you come to this church, this is what your church believes. And this is the position we take. And then we're going to show you today and next week why we take that position. Here's what the bridge believes about what it means, about what we believe the Bible teaches, about what it means to be filled with, immersed in, baptized in the Holy Spirit. So let's put that first slide up there, guys. We believe the Bible teaches us that the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is subsequent to. There's a big word for you right there. Which means takes place 
after. And this is, I'm going to go ahead and get into some stuff that some of you are going to disagree with. Now, if you do disagree with me, uh, come up after the service and ask me to forgive you, and I will. Um, but we believe that the Bible teaches us that the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is subsequent to, takes place after a person is born again. This means after a person is saved from their sins, after a person, as it teaches us in the book of Romans, is adopted into the family of God, we believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place after that. And it is an endowment of power for all believers. Now you see a bunch of scripture references down there. You don't have to worry about writing those down unless you want to. But what I hope you'll do is get these notes. Do your own study. Let the Holy Spirit be your teacher. Let's go to the next slide. We believe the Bible teaches that when a believer is baptized in the Holy Spirit, the result will be four basic things. Number one, can you guys see that? Number one, a deeper expression of spiritual fruit. Now, y'all remember the nine fruits we talked about, the nine spiritual fruits? Everybody say amen. Okay, you remember. So we talked about those love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, um, patience. Um, I can't remember all of them right now, um, even though I'm pretty brilliant, but I still can't remember all of them. Um, a, deep, a deeper expression of those fruits. Now let's talk about spiritual fruits just a minute. The fruits of the Spirit are just that. They're not your fruits. The fruits of the, everybody say it, Spirit. There's a Holy Spirit in you producing love at a level you can't produce it. Joy at a level you can't produce it. Patience at a level you can't be patient. We're talking about supernatural love. How many of you know it takes some supernatural love to love some people? It takes some supernatural joy to be joyful in some circumstances. It takes supernatural patience to deal with situations and people in your life. And the people said, so we're talking about production of fruit in your life that is supernatural given to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that will happen when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit is there will be a greater growth in Christ's likeness, 2 Corinthians 3.18, which actually goes, it kind of overlays, number one, because when those spiritual fruits begin to be manifested in your life, that is Christ's likeness. Isn't that right? And so there's a lifestyle. Now, guys, you know that I spent the majority of this series on being filled with the Holy Spirit on our daily behavior. We're only spending the last two sermons on the experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's why. Because we are so human, we are so, um, I'm trying to think of a nice word, carnal, fleshy, that even in our spiritual life, if we're not very careful, we will go down a carnal path even in our spiritual life. Let me, let me um, illustrate it. One of the reasons that some churches 
And I'm not here to criticize any other church. As a matter of fact, we've already prayed for other churches, but I'm just going to say this. There are some churches, in my opinion, that are out of balance in the way they worship in their worship services. There is little emphasis on expository preaching. Little emphasis on in-depth Bible teaching. There's a lot of emphasis on worship. And, and listen, I love worship. We, we love worship in this church. As a matter of fact, we have worship services sometimes where that's all we do. We'll come out here during the week and, and we'll just have the band come up and we'll just worship for a couple of hours and praise and prayer. So we know about worship. I've done a whole series of sermons on worship. Worship is very, very important. But churches can get really out of balance in that area where there is so much worship that connects to us emotionally that sometimes that is done to the exclusion of the teaching of the Word of God. Okay, and I, I, I'm, you know, I want to make sure you guys are with me. I want to make sure you understand me. So even in seeking God in our life, when you begin to seek the Holy Spirit, Let's say you've been listening to the sermon series, you're getting into it, and let's say you've never been open to it before, but you're open now where you're saying, I want the Holy Spirit in my life. I want the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm not real sure what the pastor's talking about, this baptism in the Holy Spirit, this immersion in the Holy Spirit, but I tell you, I mean, if God's got more for me, I want it no matter what it's called. Amen? And so... So you begin to desire him. You begin to seek him, uh, not just here at church, but in your private time, uh, in your living room, wherever you are, in your bedroom. You're, you're crying out and saying, God, I don't understand it all, don't know all the theological words, but, you know, I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm walking in you. I know, Lord, that you're with me. I know that you've saved me from my sins. I know if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. I'm one of your children, but God, if there's an endowment of power that I don't have, if, there is a, if there's an infusion of your power at a level I don't have, then I'm open to that. I'm open to that. Well, when you pray that way and you pray sincerely, the Holy Spirit will come to you. A lot of times when that happens, there is a, there is a literal feeling not just emotionally, but there is a feeling in your flesh sometimes, in your very body. Do you, do you remember when um, remember when Lee Grady was here and he preached on the baptism in the Holy Spirit? You remember that? He talked about how he didn't know anything about it, and as he was praying, and this isn't the experience with everybody, it was his experience, but you've got to be very careful that you don't mimic somebody else's experience or you don't say, okay, that's how his experience was, so that must be how my experience is going to be. So be very, very careful with that because we don't serve a cookie-cutter God, okay? So as he was praying for that infusion of power from on high, he said he felt warmth, like, like a warmth just cover him. Y'all with me out there? Um, and, and so I, I'm saying that there might be uh, a, an actual physical feeling that comes with this experience. Here's where people mess up. I'm about to tell you right now where people mess up. When they get that sense of God's breath on their neck, when they get that sense of, whoa, 
uh, this is not going to be good English, but it's going to be good preaching. When they get that sense of, I ain't never been here before. Y'all okay out there? I ain't never been here before. I, I've, never, I've never sensed this before. I've never felt this way before. I just really know God is in my bedroom with me right now, or God is with me in the altar of the church right now, or might be on your, uh, in your car. I would advise you, though, if it happens in the car, to pull over. But you're, you're praying that God will fill you with the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden this feeling comes. What people do, this is where the problem comes. They, they take the focus off God, and they put the focus on that feeling. They put the focus on that feeling. That's where churches get out of bounds with emotionalism. That's where churches get out of bounds with focusing on physical manifestations and focusing on trying to get that sense again, going for the feeling. Listen, don't go for the feeling. Go for God. And sometimes there will be a feeling, and sometimes there won't be a feeling. But it's God every time, if you are sincerely coming before him, allowing his Holy Spirit not only to fill you, but to cleanse you and purify you. So the problem comes in when people are seeking God, so God shows up, and instead of continuing to focus on him and saying, more of God, less of me, everybody say that with me, more of God, less of me. More of God, less of me. Louder. More of God, less of me. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. More of God, less of me. But see, if you, if you are overwhelmed by the emotion of that experience, if you are overwhelmed with the physical sense, and you take your focus off God, and it becomes about that feeling, then you're going to get out of balance in your walk with God. That's good preaching right there. That's good teaching right there. And some of you are going to have to process this. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm preaching on. You have grown up in a church that has taught this. But some of you are hearing what I'm teaching for the very first time in your life. So all I'm asking you to do is investigate. Investigate. And look, you're gonna, you can go on the internet and you will hear teachers say, it is not for today, it's for another day. You can go on the internet, you'll find another guy who goes, hey, it's all about that. You got saved, but don't even worry about getting, getting saved for babies. It's this Holy Spirit. And so that gets way out of balance. Here's what you need to do. Follow the scriptures. Get into the word of God. What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? That's what I've done in this sermon series, if I, is I have talked to you about how the power of the Holy Spirit affects your daily life. So you can get teaching way over here, you can get teaching way over here, and then you can find some teachers who teach it in balance. But I think what God wants you to do is to do your own study, your own prayer, your own research. Let's look at the other two very quickly. First of all, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens in a believer, you're going to have the fruit of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> I'm going to just go ahead and say this. If you speak in tongues but you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, I'm not impressed at all with your tongue speaking. And I know people who can speak in tongues but they ain't got no fruit. 
And I'm telling you, it is destructive to the church. But not just people who manifest that gift and don't have fruit, but, but any, any kind of fruit that you say, I have, the, I have the gifts of the Spirit operating in my life, but I don't really have much fruit operating in my life, then, then you're hurting the, the effort of the church. You're hurting the body of Christ. Don't focus on the gifts. Focus on the fruit. If you focus on the fruit, the gifts that you have that God's put in you, they'll, they'll manifest and they'll work and they'll minister to people and they'll help people. Okay, does that make sense? So, a deeper expression of spiritual fruit. Number two, a greater growth in Christ-likeness. Number three, a genuine manifestation of spiritual gifts. And that's what I was just talking about. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11 talks about manifestation gifts. Prophecy and healing and faith. And, and I want to just say to you, in case you don't know, this church believes in the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. And the gifts operate in this church. And when I say we believe in the operation of the gifts of the Spirit, I'm not just talking about the gift of helps. <laughs> Let me tell you what I'm not talking about. I'm not just talking about the ones we're comfortable with. I'm talking about the gifts of the Spirit people are not comfortable with. We believe in those gifts, and we believe they're for today. But we also believe that in a lot of churches, it's way out of whack, and it's way out of balance. I mean, i got to tell you something. Can I preach? Can we talk? There, there's just something wrong with a church that's got people turning chairs over and, and shouting and screaming and all that. And then three weeks after that, the church is split down the middle and they've started another one right up the road. There's something wrong with that picture. And it hurts. I mean, you've got unbelievers out there looking at that going, what in the world is going on? I thought these people were so spiritual. I mean, they make a lot of noise. They do a lot of freaky stuff in their worship services, but they fight like cats and dogs. See, you, that's when you've got some, some kind of manifestation going on. I don't think it's biblical, but you've got some kind of manifestation going on, but number one's not happening. Y'all with me? The fruits of the Spirit aren't in that church. You've got to have the fruits of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, Paul said it to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1.13, Matter of fact, I believe it's chapter uh, verse 1 or 2 there where he says you can speak with the tongues of angels and if you don't have love, you might as well get a, a spoon and a pan and just beat that pan because the, the power of your speaking with the tongues of angels will have the same effect without love as some kid just beating a pot with a spoon. Are you all with me? He's just talking about how useless any manifestation of a spiritual gift is if you don't have the fruits down pat. Boy, that's good stuff right there. Look at number four. You're going to have a more effective prayer life. Your, your prayer life's going to be empowered, Romans 8, 26, and 27, okay? So uh, let's just go and talk a little bit about where all this comes from as I build a case for our doctrinal position here at the church. Um, Luke gives us a two-volume uh, work. He provides for us a two-volume work. Luke wrote two books in the Bible. Now, one of them, all of you ought to know, which would be the Gospel of... Excellent. Uh, the other book he wrote is the book of... Ah! Aha! The book of Acts. See, a lot of people think Paul wrote Acts. Paul got saved in Acts. So Luke 
is the writer of the book of Acts. So Luke provides for us in the Bible a two-volume work. He mentions in Acts 1-1, and we'll read that in a minute, so don't go there yet, that in Acts 1-1, he talks about his first book. He references the Gospel of Luke, and he reveals to us in Acts 1-1 that the purpose of the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, that the purpose of that book was to tell all that Jesus began. Began. That word began is very, very important because that means he only got something started. He didn't finish it. He just got it started and came to be an example for us. So in Acts 1-1, he talks about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And then in the second volume in the book of Acts, here he deals with Jesus continuing to do and continuing to teach, but not in himself because he has what in the book of Acts? Y'all got to know what that means right there. He has ascended into heaven in the book of Acts. I mean, Jesus is in the book of Acts, like right there at the beginning. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. And and we're all left here on the earth without him in physical form. Y'all with me? But he sent to us when he ascended. He sent to us 10 days after he ascended an endowment, listen, an endowment of power so that we could continue as the what of Christ? So the, the body of Christ in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John sense had what? Ascended. Sign language. Uh, had ascended, but the body of Christ is still in the world today, and the body of Christ is the church. The body of Christ is the church. Now, when I say the church, I don't mean church buildings. I don't mean churches with steeples. I mean, and I'll use an old-fashioned word because we sung it today, the blood-washed church. The saved, those who have come to Christ and been saved, they are the church. People who have accepted Christ as their personal Savior is the church. And so Jesus has promised that I'm going to ascend, but I'm going to send you a power that you didn't have so that you can continue to do and teach what I started doing and teaching. Y'all with me out there? So the book of Acts is not only, probably on the first page of your Bible, it says the Acts of the Apostles. And the Acts of the Apostles, are not the first page of your Bible, but the first page of the book of Acts, It probably says the Acts of the Apostles, and it is the Acts of the Apostles, but it's also the Acts of the risen, living Jesus, and it is the Acts of the Holy Spirit, that book of Acts. Now let's look at Acts of chapter 1, and let's read verses 1 through 3. Y'all with me out there? Say amen. Amen. All right. Okay. The former account, that means my first book I wrote. This is Luke talking. So he says, the former account, my first book I wrote, the Gospel of Luke, old Theophilus, and uh, nobody really knows who Theophilus was, uh, but he was writing this to Theophilus and did a bunch of research on that, and some people made some wild guesses, and some of them were pretty wild, 
uh, but actually the Bible does not identify who Theophilus is, but I love the, what his name means. It means lover of God. So my next son that Millie and I have, <clears throat> Theo, exactly, Theo. Now if he doesn't grow up to be a lover of God, then, then we're going to have to straighten him out. But as a matter of fact, if Millie does have another child, it will be an immaculate reception. I won't tell you all that right now. The former account I made, Gospel of Luke, old Theophilus, of all that Jesus, what? Began both to... Okay, y'all with me? So Jesus came down here for 33 and a half years to get something started. And then he ascended into heaven and sent the power of the Holy Spirit so that you as his children would be endued with a power you did not have to continue in the world what Jesus started. Go to the next slide. Until the day in which he was taken up. Y'all got that? Hey, y'all all go to work tomorrow and go, did y'all know Jesus? Some freaks and people out at work. Um, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, next slide, to whom he also presented himself, how? Alive. So when Jesus rose from the dead, the next major thing he did was ascend into heaven. How long was it between his resurrection and his ascension? Forty days. Good. Excellent. And in those 40 days, Jesus, look at that first line, presented himself during those 40 days for confirmation of the resurrection and for a lot of other reasons, but one of them being the confirmation of the resurrection, also presented himself, everybody say it, alive after his suffering, and he presented himself by many infallible, that means it cannot be questioned. It cannot be questioned. Being seen, Jesus was seen by them during what? 40 days. See, there's the answer. And speaking, and this is what Jesus was saying, Jesus was speaking of the things pertaining to what? The kingdom of God. All right. Now, when we read those verses, Luke mentions three things that the apostles needed if they were going to be the kind of instruments through which the living, resurrected Jesus could do his work and speak his word in the earth. So, so let's look at those guys uh, out there in the media. If you guys will go back, if you'll back up in the scripture to that very first verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, awesome. Now, if you'll notice here, they needed a command. They needed a command. Go to the next slide. I'm sorry. Next slide. Next, next scripture slide. Look, look what they, they needed a command. So it says, don't you think the disciples would need a command? I mean, Jesus is about to leave. And if Jesus was about to leave, I would go, can we meet at Starbucks and just talk one day? Because there's some stuff I need before you leave. So Jesus says, until the day in which was taken up after, um, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given them what? He made it clear what he expected. He made it clear, I'm about to ascend. 
You guys aren't going to see me anymore. But I've got some commandments. I've got some things I want you to do. And so he commands them. Now, the Bible doesn't record all that he said. But he gave them clear commandments. So we all need that. We have, people have to know. We have to know what the expectations are. The next thing that he gave them that they really needed was verification that he was alive. So go to the next one. To whom he also presented himself alive after suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during the 40 days. So, I mean, if I'd seen a man die on a cross and I'd seen somebody put him in a tomb, uh, I would really like to make some eye contact with him to make sure that what they're saying about him is true. And so Jesus revealed himself to over 500 witnesses after his resurrection, they needed this ver verification that Jesus was really alive, that he was triumphant over death. And so in the first part of verse 3, he presented himself with many unquestionable uh, proofs. And then the third thing they needed was a vision, a vision of the kingdom of God. And so he spent uh, that third... Um, um, message talking about the kingdom of God. Now go to that next slide you guys were on. And there it is right there. A spirit authenticated commission, verification, and more instruction about the kingdom of God. So I, the, the first one there to me is like Jesus was giving them um, the commands, what he expected. Uh, he revealed himself to them so they would know that all of the talk about him resurrecting from the grave was true. That had to be confirmed in their minds. And the third thing was his vision for the future, his vision for the kingdom of God in the world, what he saw happening through them. Everybody with me say amen. Now let's go to Acts 1, uh, verses 4 and 5. So here we go. There's a lot of people who wish this wasn't in the Bible, but it is. And being assembled together with them, he, being Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the what? Promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Next slide. For John, here it is. For John truly baptized with water. Everybody say water. Water, water baptism declares publicly, now this is the part in parentheses is commentary. Water baptism declares publicly that we are a follower of Jesus. Let me ask you something. Do you get water baptized before you become a follower of Jesus? No, you get water baptized after you've decided you're going to follow Jesus. He said, John came and baptized you publicly uh, to show your acceptance of and identification with Christ. But you, Jesus followers shall be baptized not only with water, y'all see this in the Word? But also with the Holy Spirit. He wasn't talking to people who hadn't decided to follow Jesus. He was talking to people who had already decided to follow Jesus. He said there's coming a new baptism, a different baptism, with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now what I want to talk to you about in the remaining time, is the fact that one of the reasons for the baptism in the Holy Spirit for these apostles was that they desperately needed it. 
They desperately needed it. The apostles needed this experience in order to be powerful. They needed this experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be effective instruments in the hands of the resurrected Jesus. Now, how do we know the apostles needed this experience? How do we know? I'll tell you how we know. Because Jesus said, though you are following me, though you've decided to follow me, though you've committed your life to me, don't go yet. Don't go. You remember Jesus said what? Go ye into all the world and what? But here he says, don't go yet. I want you to wait. Don't go out there and begin your ministry yet. I want you to wait because there's something you need. There's something you need that you don't have. He said, so I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Obviously, Jesus was saying to them, before you can fully obey the commandments, you remember the commandments? Before you can fully obey the commandments, you need to wait. You need to wait until the experience of the immersion, baptism, and filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's look at Acts 1.4. Acts 1.4 says, And while staying with them, Jesus charged them not to depart. Do you see that? Look, these guys were saved. These guys were Christians. But Jesus said, don't go yet. Don't go from Jerusalem. But I want you to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water. But before many days, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So I know we already looked at that verse one time, but I wanted you to see it again. And see how Jesus told them, don't go yet. Even though you're Christians, even though you're my followers, don't go yet, but what? W-A-I-T, wait, wait. And uh, three years earlier, and let's back up just a little bit. Three years earlier, in the book of Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist had led a brief renewal movement before Jesus had been introduced as Messiah. And it was among the Jewish people, and uh, he was calling them. What was it, John the Baptist? Mike, you ought to know this. Mike, Mike's, uh, Mike played our uh, John the Baptist in the Easter drama. How many of you got to see the cross and the crown before we stopped doing that? Okay. We might need to do that again. A lot of hands didn't go up. Uh, get on that, Pastor Jimmy. Uh, um, Mike, Mike, when you walked in that door as John the Baptist, what did you say it like you said it in the play? Exactly. Repent. That was John's message. So when you're repenting of your sin, you're getting, you're getting saved. I knew y'all need some help with that. I know you're like, sometimes, Pastor, you mess, you play with us. When you repent, you're getting saved. So John the Baptist comes in saying, repent, and he's telling them to receive forgiveness for their sins and be baptized into what? Water as a sign publicly that they have a new relationship to God that they did not have, John, uh, Luke 3, 3. But John made it clear that the Messiah was coming and he would bring again a different kind of baptism, a new kind of baptism. John told the people that Messiah Jesus would baptize people not in water. He said, I'll baptize you in water. But there is one coming who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. 
So let's look at that. Luke 3.16, Luke 3.16, John the Baptist said, John the Baptist, I mean, names this denomination right there. John the Baptist said, I baptize you with, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the cord of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Stop right there. Quit reading. Look at me. This is such an incredible prophecy or affirmation of Jesus as Messiah. As Jesus being God, because John had, and so many religious systems teach this, that Jesus was a good prophet, that Jesus was a good teacher, that Jesus was a good apostle, a good whatever. Let me tell you who Jesus was. God in the flesh. God in the flesh. Because when he makes that little statement right there that seems insignificant, that says, there is one mightier than I who is coming, the cord of whose sandals I'm not worthy to get down on my knees and untie his sandals. Ladies and gentlemen, that was a statement telling us who Jesus is. I mean, if that had just been another disciple, another apostle, another good teacher, I think he could have got down on his knees and untied their shoelaces. But he said, this is God. This is God in the flesh. I'm not worthy to touch him. I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. Y'all with me out there on that? He said, he, Messiah, Jesus, will baptize you with the, and with fire. You say, I was doing good, now I'm scared. Because you got fire coming. <laughs> um, the word fire there, Really, i got to tell you, you can do all the Bible study you want to right there. Uh, most scholars believe that that word fire doesn't mean there's coming fire down from heaven. Anybody glad to hear that? <laughs> uh, but it's talking about purification. It's talking about sanctification. See, that's why I spent, guys, I spent seven sermons talking about purity. Because there's no power, there's no Pentecost, there's no baptism in the Holy Spirit, there's no endowment of power from on high until you let the Holy Spirit do a work of sanctification and holy living in your life. And when God, and when God is sanctifies you and when God deals with that sin nature in you and gets you to a place where where the Holy Spirit who's in you through the new birth is beginning to produce fruit and you're beginning to walk it out, then God's going to endue you with power from on high so that, listen to me, so that your Monday through Saturday lifestyle supports your Sunday Pentecostal being filled with the Spirit lifestyle. Am I making any sense? Because we got to walk this thing. we got to see. I'm telling you, that's what's happening to churches. We're living carnal out there, and we're coming in here turning chairs over because we say the Holy Spirit's on us, and the world's laughing. The world's laughing at us. They're going, you guys in there doing all that freaky stuff, you don't live any different than I do out here. You react just like I react. 
You cheat on your taxes just like I cheat on mine. You cheat a guy on a business deal just like I cheat guys on my business deals. You go to that church that turns them chairs over every Sunday and there's nothing to back it up. This needs to be preached in our churches. So that's why I spent eight sermons talking about lifestyle and I'm going to spend two sermons talking about the experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so... John says that. Now let's go to Acts 1-5. I think that's the, the next slide. Yeah, for John, truly baptized with water, again, a baptism that declares publicly our acceptance of and identification with Christ, our salvation. But you, who are followers of Jesus, not you who have not yet become followers, but you who are followers of Jesus, shall be baptized not only with water, but also with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So here's what Jesus is saying as I close. In Acts 1-5, Jesus is saying, this is going to happen in just a few days. He's looking at those disciples. This is going to happen to you guys in just a few days. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of y'all remember where they were when the Holy Spirit came? What was it called? Upper room, the upper room. You know who they believe whose house that was they believe that was Mark's house now I want to tell you this not because it really goes with this sermon but I want to tell you this just because it's cool <laughs> Mark is the guy Paul said I can't work with him he failed me one time do y'all remember when Paul and Barnabas went on a mission trip and Barnabas said to Paul hey, there's this young preacher, and I, got, I just think he's going to be awesome. I just think he's going to do some great things with God, for God, and I'd really like to take him on this mission trip. So Mark, Matthew, Mark, Mark went with them on the mission trip, and evidently Mark had a picture of his girlfriend with him, and he kept looking at it. That's not true. Some of y'all going, really, pictures back? No, no. He either had a pretty girlfriend he was missing or he, he ate Paul and, si Paul and Barnabas cooking and remembered his mama's cooking. But for some reason, Mark said, I'm done with this trip. And he left them and went back home. So then later on down the road, it came time to go on another mission trip and Barnabas, man, y'all study Barnabas. There's not much in the Bible about him, but y'all study the part that is there. You talk about an encourager. You talk about a man who wanted to give people second chances and who saw things in people before they really became what they were going to become. He could see it in them. That's a gift right there because, uh, you know, I'm more like Paul. You know, let's put him over there. We're moving on. But thank God for people in the body of Christ. Are you all with me? Who see people who fail and go, I know he failed, I know he failed, but I'm telling you, God's got his hand on that guy right there. That guy's going to be great. So, so they're about to go on this second missionary trip, and Barnabas comes to Paul and goes, Hey, um, you remember Mark? Paul's like, yeah, oh, yeah, I remember Mark. So let's give him another chance. Paul goes, No. No, you know, spiritual Paul. No, I don't want to give him another chance. Barnabas goes, Well, I really do. I, I really want to give him another chance. And Paul goes, Well, I'm not going, if you're going to take him, I'm not going with you. How many of y'all know Christians can disagree and still love each other? We better learn that. Because there's going to be some disagreeing up in here. 
isn't it amazing that we believe you can come to church and there shouldn't be disagreements and you people fighting in your house all the time with the people you love the most and you think you're going to come out here with people you love, love less than you love your own family and never have a debate, never have a disagreement. You're living in la-la land. But here's, here's the powerful church. The powerful church is the church that understands we're going to have disagreements, but that don't mean we have to stop loving each other and get bitter toward each other and let divisions come in the body. And so Barnabas said, you know what, Paul, I, I hear you, bro. I'm going to take this young preacher boy, and I'm going to work with him. And Paul goes, well, you go do what you want to do. I'm going to pick another partner. And he picked Silas. And Paul and Silas went, and Mark and Barnabas went. And the Bible talks about what Paul and Silas did, but it doesn't talk about Mark and Barnabas. But later, when Paul is in jail, and death is about to come. They're about to kill him for being a Christian, for preaching the gospel. He's in prison, and he writes a letter. And he says, send Mark to me. Isn't that awesome? And tell him that I'm cold, so bring my coat. And tell him to bring my Bible. Send Mark to me. Let me tell you something. Don't give up on people who mess up. Because that young boy rose to be the person Paul in his later years called to come. He rose up from his failure to write one of the books of the Bible. He rose up from his failure that it appears that it was his house where the Holy Spirit came down into. Don't give up on people. Amen? Second chances, man. Second chances. So, here's what John said. John said, uh, or this is what Jesus said in Acts 1-5. Jesus said, John immersed you with water. I'm going to immerse you in the Spirit. John drenched you in water. I'm going to drench you in the Spirit. Then Jesus was saying to us, this is what you need. He was saying, Bridge Church in Metropolitan Princeton, North Carolina, this is what you need. Bridge Church in Goldsboro, this is what you need. If you are going to be effective, if you are going to be powerful, if you are going to overcome bad circumstances, if you are going to weather the storms, if you are going to set your sail and stay on course, you need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So the day of Pentecost came. And what was this baptism with the Holy Spirit? And what did they need? And why did they, what did they get when it happened, when it did come? Well, let's look at it. I'm going to just throw some stuff out there on y'all, and I'm going to dismiss this service. And everybody's going to walk out kind of dazed this morning. I mean, that's how you want to send your congregation out, isn't it? Sort of walking out in the parking lot going, what did he just say? <laughs> All right. Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, a lot of people wish this wasn't in the Bible. A lot of people wish this wasn't in the Bible so they wouldn't have to address it. 
And I got to tell you something, a lot of churches don't address it. They do not go here. They do not teach this. They just ignore it and teach from the places in the Bible they are comfortable with. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to rightly divide it all. Have I not made you that promise? Acts 2, 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered together in one place. It's really a miracle that all of them could get in that Honda. It says 120 people got in an accord, got in one accord. <laughs> so we know God's there. I know some of y'all can't wait to get home. You're going to not remember anything I said, but you're going to go, hey, you know what pastor said about you? <laughs> Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And what's that word? Suddenly a sound from heaven, like the rush of a mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. They've been praying 10 days. 10 days. Pastor goes over 10 minutes and we're freaking out. Thank you. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire. You know what that means? That doesn't mean tongues. That means, that means fire came down and just sat on their head. And I'm always amazed at people who go, well, on the day of Pentecost, everybody spoke in tongues. So I know that every time God moves, everybody's going to speak in tongues. Well, why, why do we pick that one out and we don't pick the one out about the tongues of fire coming down on everybody? I just throw that out there for you to walk out dazed and confused this morning. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributed <laughs> and resting on each one of them. And they were all what? Filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues <laughs> as the what? Gave them utterance. So we see in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came, there was a mighty wind immersing the house. It actually, it actually filled the house. I've been in church when that happened. Anybody been in church when that happened? I mean, when God just filled the place with his spirit? Come on. Yeah. yeah. You say, I'm scared to say. <laughs> I've been there, man. I look, hey, listen, sometimes during our worship, during our praise, in the beginning, I always sense the Holy Spirit every time we have worship. But I got to tell you, sometimes, man, I feel like if my shoelaces weren't tied tight, I'd just float right on up to heaven. I mean, it's just sometimes... They're just moments, and I don't know why God chooses some moments and don't choose all moments. I don't know why. And I'm going to tell you something. Churches that think God's going to move the same way every time they get together are setting themselves up some, for some huge disappointment because God don't move the same way every time, every Sunday, in the same fashion. And these churches that get focused on emotionalism, they have some big emotional service one Sunday. Well, you know what they do? They set themselves up for failure because then they think, we gotta, we got to top that next week or people will quit coming. Did somebody just pass out? <laughs> Boom. Um, are y'all with me on that? I know churches that have to top the Sunday before or people won't come. 
That, that, can I just say something about that? That's the most shallow kind of Christian there is because they run around where the big show is, where the big deal is, running around from church to church to church, and, and they're trying to top the last service they had. Listen, God doesn't move the same way every time. And if you say he does or he's got to do bigger things than he did last weekend, you're going to set yourself up some, for some big disappointment in your life because sometimes he speaks with a still, small voice. And sometimes he goes, I'm in the house! <laughs> and there are visitors here going, he, that dude's crazy. <laughs> I think we go to the next slide. Yeah, um, Acts 2, 1 through 4. And there appeared to them, oh, we did that, we read that. So, so there's this mighty wind and this sound. And the effect on the disciples is in verse 3, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Tongues of fire appeared on them, they spoke in tongues. And then in verse 11, we didn't put this one in there. But just write this down if you're taking notes. In verse 11, it tells us what they were saying in tongues. Now, it doesn't tell us the words they were saying, but it tells us, the content, what the content of their, what their speaking in tongues was. Because the witnesses, the people who were standing outside looking at this go on, do you remember what they said about them? They said, these people have got to be drunk. But the Bible says, we thought they were drunk. Now these are unbelievers. So when unbelievers see a spiritual phenomenon taking place, a supernatural phenomenon taking place, they don't understand it. But the Bible says the carnal, fleshly mind, the unregenerated mind, the unsaved mind cannot comprehend, y'all with me? Spiritual things. That's why Judas, when Mary washed Jesus' feet with her hair and poured that ointment, that's why Judas said, you wasted the ointment. Because he didn't understand what was going on in the house. He didn't understand what was going on in the room. He didn't understand pure worship. So he had criticized her for wasting the ointment. And um, so, so here we see these people, they're standing on the outside, they're probably laughing, they're probably mocking, but I got a feeling that the laughing and the mocking stopped when those 120 started speaking in different languages that were the languages of the people who were there because they were there for this big celebration, this big feast of the Passover. So when, when they started speaking all these languages, those people started hearing these unlearned people who didn't know those languages speaking in their tongue. Y'all understand what I just said? So they, they said, wow, we, we hear them speaking our language and we know they don't know our language. So, so they were overwhelmed with this sense of greatness, sense of wonder at his works. Now three things right here, right here. The Holy Spirit, when he filled them, filled them with his vision of God. The Holy Spirit filled them and let them see God in a way they had never seen God. The Holy Spirit filled them and gave them the passion of God for lost people, for the world to be saved. And then he spoke through them prophetic words of praise and adoration of God. The Bible says that those tongues, when they spoke in those tongues, they were speaking of the mighty works of God. So, so they, 
they spoke the language, they spoke the gospel, they spoke praises of Jehovah God, the God of the Bible, to all the people who were in that city, in that area, and those people heard those praises in their own tongue. Everybody all right? It's in the Bible. So we're going to study it. Next week we're going to go deeper into this. Here's, here's what I want you to do. Our time is way past gone. Here's what I want you to do. I don't care what background you come from. I don't care what denominational background you came from. I don't care what teacher told you that none of that's for today. It's for another time. It was for them, but it's not for today. Um... All I want you to do is have the courage to look at God in your quiet time and say, God, if this experience is for your kids, and I know I'm one of your kids, then I seek this experience in my life. I seek to be filled with your spirit. Because I want to be effective as a Christian. I want to be empowered as a Christian. In these last days, and i got to tell you something, all you got to do, guys, is look at the news. We're in the last of the last. And if we've ever needed empowerment from God, it's right now. So don't try to talk yourself out of this. Because you know what? Let's say that what I've said today is off base and what I'm going to say next Sunday is off base. If you're, a ch- if you're a child of God, you can go to God and say, God is pastor, and, and if I'm wrong, God will say to you, don't hear that. Don't hear that word. Don't hear that word from pastor because that was for a different time. He'll tell you. But if this is for you today and you're sincere, he's going to create in you a hunger for this, a hunger and a desire for this experience in your life. Father, Let your word change us, not a preacher, not an opinion of a preacher, but let your word change us and let your spirit change us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said?